got your Bibles. We are in a study this summer on called Set in Stone, and it is the idea of spiritual disciplines. How do we grow in our relationship with the Lord? How do we get solid in that relationship with Him? And of course, reminding you, these are not legalistic things. That, okay, if I read my Bible and I pray and I don't smoke and I don't chew or go out with the girls that do, that somehow I'm spiritual. That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about what are the tools that we can use to really lean into Jesus. We've talked about the Word of God, the importance of studying it, reading His Word, meditating on His Word. Secondly, last week we talked about community. And uh, the importance of having other people in our life. Today we want to talk about worship. But here's the thing about worship. It's one of the misnomers that we have in our life. Because every one of these spiritual disciplines is something that we can do in community with each other. But it's also something that we should be doing personally. In our own lives, just between us and the Lord. So I don't want you to think when I talk about worship that I'm talking about what necessarily what we just did. Or the coming together and, and, and the singing of songs. Because singing is certainly a part of worship, but it is not anywhere close to the totality of what worship is. It's not a worship service. It is just this act, this discipline of worship. So... The passage is Matthew or Mark, excuse me, chapter 14, and we'll read the first nine verses. He says, Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking now to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, Not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. Now while he was in Bethany, the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii, the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always had the poor with you, and when, whenever you wish you can do good to them, you can. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could, for she has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. By the way, I would remind you that today we are the literal fulfillment of that prophecy by Jesus. There are three things in this passage about worship that I want to quickly point out. And by the way, one of the things going forward is that we are having shorter services. Part of that is, is so that you can social distance, physical distance on the way out, right? So if you want to sit and wait for most people to go, you can still get out before coming in. So that part's not going to change for a while. So I'm just going to keep talking fast and you keep listening fast and we'll, we'll get through this. But the first thing is this, that the right heart of worship is a thankful heart. That's what it stems out of. You see, worship at its heart means this, to bow down before, to ascribe 
worth, to ascribe value. And, and that's, that's what's happening here. What's, what's interesting is in the Gospels, there are two different stories uh, about Jesus being anointed the week of the Passover. Uh, there's this one that's also recorded in Matthew, and then there's one that's recorded in John, um, I believe it's chapter 12. And what's interesting is they're similar. One is Jesus gets anointed by very costly perfume. Secondly, it happens at a dinner in Bethany. Third is that um, <laughs> the disciples grumble. <laughs> this should have been sold and given away. The question is, is it the same story or did Jesus actually get anointed twice? I lean to the idea that Jesus is actually anointed twice during the week of the Passover. Uh, in, in the book of John, we're not told where he was. Here we're told very specifically he is at the home of Simon the leper. Whereas in the John passage, it doesn't say exactly, but it implies that he's actually there with, at Lazarus' home. Secondly, what we're told in John is, is Mary, here we're not told who anoints him, and that in John it's that his feet are anointed, here it's that it's his head is anointed. So I actually take that he's, he's anointed twice. Uh, but the idea is, is that who, whoever it is, whether this is Mary or this is another woman, that, that worship is taking place. And the worship, of course, is what springs from that heart of thanksgiving. So you think of this. He's at the home of Simon the leper. Now, it, it doesn't cause us to push credibility too much to begin to think, well, maybe the reason Simon the leper is throwing this party for Jesus is that Jesus had healed him, right? Because if Simon was still a leper with the active case of leprosy, he would not be there in Bethany. He couldn't have people in his home. He would be the outcast. So the idea very much is the idea that Jesus healed Simon, who was the leper. So he's thrown on a party. And then we have this woman. And again, if it's Mary, you can imagine. Uh, Jesus had just raised her brother from the dead. This idea of thankfulness and worship. And if it's not, maybe it's, maybe it's the woman who was taken in adultery. I mean, we don't know who she is. But obviously, there's something in her heart in which she comes and pours out this very costly perfume. And what I just want to encourage you all, folk, is that what builds a discipline of worship in your heart and my heart is a spirit of thanksgiving. It's taking the time, as the old song puts it, count your blessings, name them one by one. To think through, because a, a thankful heart is a humble heart, because I realize that God has done this, not me. It wasn't mere circumstance, but it was God who has been at work with me. It reminds me of what Paul said there in 1 Thessalonians, where he says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you. Give thanks in everything. A thankful heart is a humble heart. A humble heart worships God. Now, one of the things that you learn as you grow is that what Scripture teaches us is, yes, we worship God for what He's done. We count our blessings. 
But what we also learn is that we can worship God because of who he is. Because his deeds actually flow out of his character, right? God is good, so what he does then is always good. I may not even be able to see it in the moment, but I can trust in the fact that somehow God is going to bring good out of it because that's who God is. It's not just what he's done, but it's the fact that he is faithful, that he is good, that he is kind, that he is loving. Psalm 150 puts it like this. Praise him for his mighty deeds. That's what he's done. But also, praise him according to his excellent greatness. That's who he is. That's his character. Think of Jeremiah who wrote uh, the book of Lamentations. And of course, it's a lament. It's a very difficult time. And things, I mean, Jerusalem is under siege. It's going to be destroyed by the Babylonians. And in Lamentations, he writes this, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I have hope in him. That's not about, I mean... Jeremiah looks around and you remember reading the book of Jeremiah and he's thrown in the pit and all this bad stuff happens but he rests and he rejoices and he worships not in the circumstances of the moment not even in the deeds that God has done to deliver him but in the hope of who God is his character And one of the great things about worship is we can worship him in those moments when we see his faithfulness in our life, the things he has done. But in those moments of trial, in those moments when things are not going well, we can also worship him even when we haven't seen the deliverance because we can trust in his character that he will see us through, that he is good. The second thing we see in this passage is that the focus of our worship is on God. It's not on us. You know, worship is the antithesis of self-focus. So you, you think of this woman who brings this very, very expensive perfume. Uh, I, I got to be honest, you begin to get into this part, uh, and, and it causes my soul. Uh, I'm very thankful. My, my wife tends to be fairly frugal. She does wear perfume, but not near this expensive. So 30 or 300 denarius. So denarius is a day's wage. So, so we're thinking almost a year's worth of wages. If you ever come, put that into Goodyear, Arizona in 2020, the average year's wage, what is it, 50,000, 60,000, 70,000? This was expensive perfume. But you see, it wasn't about her. It wasn't about her getting this incredible smell on her. This was about her worshiping the Lord Jesus. And worship is the antithesis. Now here's the thing, folk. In every spiritual discipline, with all of the positive it can bring, there's a dark side. We've talked about it. Bible study. Reading, getting into the Word is so important. But can it cause us to begin to have a puffed up spirit that we know this? Knowledge, you know, knowledge brings arrogance. Isn't that what 
Paul reminds us of? Yeah. We talked about that. If you don't let it penetrate your heart and change you, it'll make you proud. It it will hurt you. Community. Uh, You know, community is wonderful. We all need community. But, folk, we all know if you're in community with other fallen people, you're going to get hurt, right? There's going to be pain involved. It happens. It's just, so you got to understand, same thing happens with worship. Worship is good, it's wonderful, it's an important discipline. But what happens so often is is that we allow it in, in, in its experience to become about us. Because worship, when you, when you get focused on Jesus, and you get focused on what he's done, and you get focused on who he is and his faithfulness, I mean, so often there's emotion with that. And, and then you take it and you tie it together with, with gifted people who have been able to, to put those words into a, a singable piece with a great melody on how great is our God. Sing with me, right? How great, you know, it, it takes the melody, it takes it. And all of a sudden in the midst of the worshiping our God because of who he is and the great emotion. And then we hear the voices around us singing through their mask. How great is our God, right? And, and you get the tingles up and down your spine and it feels good and sadly if we're not careful what can become our focus is the tingles up and down our spine instead of the worship of our God and folk when you look at the last 20 to 30 years of the church in America and the whole worship war thing that we have been through I can't help but think that so often what we have called worship has not about been bowing before him and ascribing worth to him, but it's been more about us. Because truth is truth. God's faithfulness is God's faithfulness. And one of the things we've got to be reminded that worship is the antithesis about self-focus. We focus on him. And this is what we can do then. Because God is good, because we're focused upon him, we can worship no matter what the circumstances. The good, the bad. That's You know, Paul and Silas had just been beaten. What are they doing? They're worshiping God. Why? It wasn't because, thank you, God, you know, count my blessings for every lash. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't it. But it's the fact that God knew that God could use it, that God was with them. That, that, you know, it was in the character of God because it wasn't about them. They were hurting. They were scarred. But God was good. And when we focus on him and not ourselves, and we can worship him no matter what. Now, real quickly, there's another thing about worship that I think is so important for us to be reminded of. And that is is that true worship, worship that's about God, starts with obedience, right? It's, it's not about the singing of the songs. It's not about the raising of the hands. It's not about the feeling. I mean, maybe it's just me. 
But I know that there have been those moments when, when I, I've been in a worship service and, and I'm singing the songs and I'm singing the right things and I'm doing the right things and, and even at times having the feeling. But then the Holy Spirit comes and he begins to point out this area of disobedience in my life. And the question is, if I'm not willing to repent of that at that moment, am I really worshiping God with my lips and with my body at that moment when my heart is far. Isn't that Jesus' whole thing with, with, the, you know, with the children of Israel? You worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Do you, do you remember what uh, Samuel, and I don't know if we're going to get replays in heaven. This would be one of those moments I'd love to see. Remember, God had sent Saul out to, to kill uh, Bimlech and you know for all this stuff and they were supposed to kill all the animals and everything and and Saul disobeys and he comes back and Samuel the, the I just pictured this little old prophets you know calling him out on it but you know he had his excuse well we brought the best of the lamb back to sacrifice it to God and little Samuel puts a bony little finger up in Saul's face and he says this has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice to listen to heed to hearken to do is far better than the fat of rams don't allow our hearts to be full that we can worship God when we know we are walking in disobedience. Worship begins with a submissive heart before God. And then the other thing we see in this passage is that worship often goes against the human wisdom. The human wisdom. Uh, human wisdom is, oh, take, take the perfume. Think of man, all that you could do with it. How many of the poor you could feed, right? It doesn't make sense to come and to give, give time to worship the Lord, to serve the Lord, to take time out of a busy day every day to sit down to, to, to talk to the Lord, to worship Him. It doesn't seem to make sense, but it does in God's economy because He is worthy of praise. Quickly, because I'm supposed to be done like right now, so I'm going to talk really quick. Here we go. Jesus' response here is great. Did you notice verse 6? It, it's such a powerful thing. He says, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed. Did you see the last two words? To me. To me. You know, we talk often about serving others. Being the hands and feet to minister for Jesus to others. Have you ever thought of what it looks like to minister to Jesus? It's worship. She, she ministered to me. That, that's Jesus' words. And how do we minister to him today? How do we bless him today? It's, it's through our worship. It's through ascribing that praise and that glory. And, and what's beautiful is, is then that brings us under the umbrella of his protection because Jesus basically says, hey, get off this girl's back. She's done what is right. I couldn't help but think of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Remember how that, that song goes. 
He says, one thing I've decided, I've sought of the Lord, and this I will seek, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord in his temper, t- tabernacle. And then he goes on and says, and in the days of trouble, he will hide me. He will hide me in the secret places of his tabernacle. You see, when we worship him, when we ascribe to him, that is where the communion is. And that is where the protection lies. Let me finish with four really quick things that I think help us as we think about what it means to worship Jesus. Number one, we just mentioned it. Remember, the greatest act of worship does not come with our lips. It comes with our life. That's Romans chapter 12. Paul put it like this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service of what? Worship. It's our life. It's it's living before him. Secondly, what we, we need to do is that remember that it comes from our heart. It comes from our meditations. It comes from the cries of our heart. That's where worship. It's, it's a soul thing. It's not, just, it's not just our mind, but it's our heart and it's our soul. And where we get there is by cultivating this idea of thankfulness for what God has done. And one of the best ways that we learn to be thankful is to tie in to the songs to tie in to the psalms, to tie in to the beautiful music that God's people have written that leads us to be reminded of God's amazing grace, of God's faithfulness, how great is our God. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world your hands have made. We tie into the beautiful music. And for me, it, 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 it's a thing on my phone. I, you know, I call it, it's my, it's my worship playlist that I, I, I put on when I want to spend that time worshiping the Lord. It helps tune my heart into God's faithfulness. And that's why I want to bring the band back up. And I want to finish this morning with a, with a song of praise. I want us to worship him as we leave here today. If you don't know Jesus, though, it all starts with, with putting your faith and trust in him. And the greatest thing in all the world is that you can know him today if you will simply believe that he died for you. Died to save you. If you ask him to be your, your savior, he'll do it.